0: section twenty eight of criminal investigation volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org read by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana september two thousand fifteen criminal investigation a practical handbook for magistrates police officers and lawyers volume one by hans gross translated by john adam and john collier adam the expert and how to make use of him continued e hypnotism in the first edition of this book the author wrote at the end of this chapter hypnotism must also be mentioned it is a doctrine which has been received by specialists in so many different ways that it is impossible for an outsider to take up any decisive attitude with regard to it this theory of hypnotism partakes of the destiny of all problems which have been treated in a premature and unscientific way by people of doubtful learning and character it is therefore difficult to say whether in giving their so-called opinions they have been influenced by a desire to speak the truth or by other more or less obscure motives thus it has happened that among the most distinguished specialists some have considered hypnotism to be a positive science while others have only asked with regard to it who is the cheat or who the dupe but if the medical man can quietly study make experiments and observe it is not so with the jurist if hypnotism and what is claimed for it exist it would seem to be the duty of the investigating officer to attack a subject all the difficulties of which have as yet hardly been foreseen no one indeed knows how we are to approach this task nor how to deal with it in order to obtain a successful result nowadays jurists neither can nor ought to take action in the matter as yet they have not sufficient scientific material at their disposal and it is beyond doubt that the premature adoption of a point of view which has not yet been made clear would cause more harm than the conservative ignorance of a person who holds himself aloof but it is not necessary for us to take up such an extreme position we have only to retain an attitude of observation and expectation to take a great interest in the subject and study it making observations on our own account and calling in the expert on every occasion on which we fall in with a case in which it crops up so as to cover our own responsibility but let us go slowly we recommend investigating officers to become familiar with the work of dr von Lilienthal hypnotism and the criminal law in the second edition the author wrote quote, since the first edition was published the question has taken another and more scientific aspect the jurist who casts a glance through the flood of books on the subject can no longer hold aloof as an outsider from the question of hypnotism the works of delbruck forel bernheim sully ribo kraft ebing Morel, desoir reiger ligius muller obersteiner richet Schrank, notzing prayer mall wetterstrand leiboltz Bonus, schmidkens and in particular the contributors to the rue de la Hypnotism and to the zeitschrift für hypnotismus of grossmann have cleared up the question in a scientific manner the existence of hypnotism can no longer be doubted and the jurist ought to consider how he must deal with it since the last edition we have been bitterly approached with not attacking the question schmidkunz says professional lawyers have neglected the importance of suggestion to such an extent that others have been obliged to fill up the gap as soon as possible their negligence consists either in complete indifference or else in violent attacks henceforward let us no longer be reproached in this way but when medical men have given us incontestable and irrefutable material, attack the question in so far as it concerns our profession, we will at the same time know how to oppose any interference with our special business. End quote. Pharrell has said in a small treatise quote, hypnotism is obliged to traverse, like every fresh truth, three phases denial, struggle, and acceptance. End quote but the author is of the opinion that the last phase, that of acceptance, ought, like every other new thing, to also pass through three stages, namely, timid welcome, unmeasured exaggeration, and correct appreciation. It seems that as regards hypnotism we have already arrived at the exaggeration stage of the phase of acceptance. Farrell is right when he declares, Quote, the adversaries of hypnotism who said yesterday it is all trickery and illusion, and who say today this hypnotism is terribly dangerous, it must be fought with and annihilated, will perhaps say tomorrow, but this is old history which we have long been aware of. This last observation is very just indeed not taking into account the indians egyptians and other oriental peoples as to whose knowledge of hypnotism we have ample proof we find in history a number of others who have mentioned hypnotism in terms more or less clear esculapius boldstadt paracelsus helmot w maxwell a von nettesheim Cardenus campanella giordano bruno porta a Kircher, anton Mesmer, braid leiboldt and bernheim no less than contemporary men of learning mark the stages of the development of this theory a theory which has to-day become so important if we desire to obtain an idea of the value of this theory for ourselves we must study however superficially the very essence of hypnotism otherwise the investigating officer will be incapable of knowing when he is face to face with a case of hypnotism and must consequently have recourse to an expert we must at the outset agree with max Desoir, Das Doppelich, Berlin, 1889, that human personality divides itself into at least two spheres, which are theoretically quite distinct namely, the waking state, the superior consciousness, and the dream state, the inferior consciousness. The latter state is by no means unknown to us. It exists whenever we dream, or when, in a fit of sleepwalking or distraction, we act without knowing what we are doing it is in the sphere of this inferior consciousness that all the acts of a person under the influence of hypnotism are placed and by arranging these phenomena in a category of known facts we attempt to form a clear idea of that state hypnotism has most resemblance to sleep suppose we were to see a person asleep for the first time the phenomenon would appear much more strange than anything seen or heard with regard to hypnotism but we may distinguish sleep from hypnotism by designating the latter, as does Farrell, by the phrase, state of suggestibility. To suggest is to produce a dynamic change in the nervous system of a person under the influence of another person, inducing in the subject an idea that this change is taking or has taken place. As to auto-suggestion, it is the suggestion a man effects upon himself either consciously or unconsciously we can therefore distinguish as determining motives one a supernatural agent magnetism mesmerism telepathy presentiment visions etc two suggestion is formulated since the time of braid eighteen forty three and leibold eighteen sixty four three all somatic corporeal or materialistic theories which presume peripheric influences on the extremities of the nerves Fixity of look, rubbing of the forehead, etc. The second theory, suggestion, alone has any scientific value. Only one kind of hypnotism is then established by science, i.e., that consists of the suggestion of ideas it would be superfluous to analyze the way in which it takes place in practice whoever feels any disposition for these questions dangerous as they are may find the necessary information in almost any work on hypnotism but it is better to leave such experiments to medical men in the hypnotic state itself three stages may be distinguished one somnolence, state in which the subject can still open the eyes two light sleep hypotaxis charm state in which he partly submits to the influence of suggestion three deep sleep somnambulism with amnesia forgetfulness after waking muller also differentiates between deep sleep with or without post-hypnotic hallucinations i e the subject may after coming to remain under the influence of what has been suggested to him while in the hypnotic state we have also to distinguish Bernheim, Ligeus, Obersteiner, etc. A. Mental Suggestion. Here the thoughts of one person act upon other persons. Perronet relates how he ordered a person to play the piano until it was suggested to him to stop. He placed himself behind the pianist while he was playing and began to wish energetically that he would stop playing. And at that very moment he stopped b retroactive hallucination by which a person is persuaded that certain facts have happened the person believes these facts though they have never taken place c negative hallucination by which it is suggested to a person that certain objects present have disappeared e g that a person present has gone away the subject no longer sees the person though he is still there if it be asked up to what point people can be hypnotized we learn from forel that a man with a healthy mind may be hypnotized when there is no autosuggestion not to be hypnotized i e where the patient does not battle against the hypnotizer according to obersteiner one person in every three is absolutely proof against hypnotism one in three is moderately affected and one in three is perfectly hypnotizable Leibolt and Bernheim have hypnotized thousands of persons, very few of whom have opposed any resistance. Wetterstrand has found 97 refractory persons out of 3148. Renturgen and Eiden found 395 out of 414 susceptible to hypnotism. Speaking generally, it may be said that from 80 to 95 percent of men may be hypnotized people having mental illnesses are not included in this figure they are hardly ever hypnotizable the effects of hypnotism have been established scientifically forel says by suggestion in hypnotism one may produce influence and impede all the subjective phenomena known to the human mind as well as a large number of the objective functions known to the nervous system only the functions of the ganglions and the reflexive movements of the spine as well as those of the base of the skull seem to escape the influence of suggestion suggestion may even act upon the so-called somatic functions such as digestion perspiration and menstruation it may even in very rare cases produce bloody stigmata the post-hypnotic effect i e ulterior obedience to orders given during the hypnotic state does not occur with all persons it may last minutes or days and lygeus even mentions a case where suggestion was effective at the end of a year the hypnotized says muller may be in the most abject state of submission to the hypnotizer from the point of view of phenomena of the mind and the nervous movements he may be in a condition of absolute dependence in the hypnotic state it may be suggested to people that they are ignorant of certain languages forel that they are animals that they are of another sex or age to what they really are kraft the senses and memory may be sharpened obersteiner the subject may recognize the owner of an article by the smell of it the servant of a clergyman was able to recite latin and hebrew passages which she was unable to do in a waking state an old lady transformed herself in turn into a peasant a general a little child a young man richet if it is suggested to a hypnotized person that certain acts be done within a certain time the suggestion is coercive in character it must be done as suggested but always with the idea that another has constrained the subject so to act and the latter is generally aware that he has been so constrained by the person who has hypnotized him but again, if it is suggested that what he does is of his own accord, he believes so. If all this be true, the whole question is a very serious one. As regards the handwriting of a person while in the hypnotic state, we find that such writing hardly differs from the subject's writing in the waking state. Ames discusses this at some length. He tells of an experiment tried in the following circumstances. A trial was made upon a young man, Mr. Guy a Pelt Mason, who had never been hypnotized. He was put under hypnotic influence, and was requested to write two specimens of his handwriting. After being awakened, he wrote a specimen in his normal state. He said that he had not written the hypnotized specimens, at least he did not remember anything about it. A comparison of the two specimens showed that about the only difference was the size. Mr. Mason, while in the hypnotic state, had been told that he had the toothache, etc., and consequently was more or less agitated when he sat down to write. While there were a few slight differences in some letters and in the pictorial effect, on the whole the two specimens were wonderfully alike, and are most convincing that hypnotism, and no doubt other forms of double consciousness, cannot destroy the characteristics in handwriting a curious feature in both specimens was the same misspelling of a word we are thus driven to ask what importance the question of hypnotism has from the criminal point of view either says rigor the whole question is of no importance in criminal law having existed and having been known for long but meriting no attention from the standpoint or it has become important solely by reason of great discoveries made since the drawing up of our present criminal codes if we combine these two opposing phrases we may perhaps discover the truth the thing has existed for long has had its influence but its criminal importance has not been appreciated at its true value and is only now becoming recognized by us the effects of hypnotism were formerly well known but not as such delbruck indeed shows that they have been utilized in poetry gottfried keller in his book la relates the history of a child of seven years old who disgracefully slandered several boys older than himself by a quite imaginary story suggested to him to understand the complications we meet in connection with hypnotism we have but to consider some results obtained by specialists in that science if for instance operations and accoutrements may be painlessly performed in these days under the influence of hypnotism we may also be allowed to presume that common and immoral assaults may be performed upon hypnotized persons thus a man is said to have been castrated during an hypnotic sleep lygias made a lady confess before an audience to debts to the extent of six thousand francs he suggested to her that he had lent her that sum some time before at the congress of jurists at zurich a hypnotized boy swore that one of the gentlemen present had stolen his handkerchief and after a new suggestion he swore he had never made such an accusation Liebelt and bernheim state that more than one case of illness and even cases of death must be put down to suggestion and they recall the ordeals and judgments of god of the middle ages the thing seems almost unbelievable but really it is not so doctors and especially military doctors have often observed that the will of a man may in certain circumstances prolong life people dangerously ill live until the happening of such and such an event e g the arrival of an expected relative soldiers gravely wounded on the field of battle live until the moment when someone finds them thanks to the energy of their will in the Russian and Austrian wars it was several times noticed that soldiers of Slav origin, whose character is weak and resigned, often succumbed to wounds which were not really mortal, while the energetic character and love of life of the Germans enabled them, in spite of grievous wounds, to struggle with death until the moment when help arrived but if the influence of the will upon life and death is so great even in a normal state it must be admitted that this influence may be increased in certain circumstances by the will of another in the same way that is to say by suggestion and especially auto-suggestion certain presentiments of death are explained the effect of suggestion on daily life cannot be presumed to be the culminating point that may be attained by hypnotism that goal will be reached when hypnotism is able to bring about certain purely somatic phenomena these phenomena are not only very remarkable but from a criminal standpoint may be full of the most surprising consequences if, e.g., it is possible, as stated above, to retard or advance menstruation, it is natural to suppose that abortions may take place by suggestion and, in consequence, by hypnotism. It is even stated that blisters may be made to appear on the body of a hypnotized person by telling him that a strong plaster has been put on him where, in reality, it is only a piece of wet paper." the same phenomenon is produced by touching a person with a cold object and suggesting that it is burning if all this is true we should not be astonished if the simple contact of a finger and the affirmation that there are psychotrices there produce bloody stigmata in this connection another question naturally arises is it not possible to bring about in like manner all kinds of ecchymosis traces of strangulation etc which may have the gravest consequences in another sense is there not room for fear that in certain circumstances all sorts of abuses are committed on persons susceptible to hypnotism liegios on this account advises people not to stare for long at one point when alone with a stranger for in this case the danger of being hypnotized would be very great it is related that one of the baronesses rothschild was thus hypnotized and robbed in a railway carriage farrell even goes so far as to advise persons who are easily hypnotized to be hypnotized by a medical man in whom they have complete confidence and who would suggest to them that no one else is able to hypnotize them but he himself here indeed is prophylactic vaccination many professors of hypnotism fear that investigating officers may suggest false depositions or false confessions to a witness or accused person by bending their recollections by unconscious suggestion or retroactive hallucination it is certain that this happens the explanation is quite natural since by persuading oneself and others one is liable to commit very grave mistakes without its being possible to say that there is willful suggestion in all cases it is possible to control the accuracy of a witness's statements by exercising an excess of complacency one has only to question him in the same manner as before upon facts which one knows have not happened if the individual in question still replies in the affirmative it is very probable that all he has stated before is also untrue as to acts done by the hypnotized person after hypnotism post-hypnotic action they do not appear to be very dangerous the hypnotized person when asked to do so while under the influence of hypnotism will drink a glass of water bow to a person etc but he will show repugnance and embarrassment when he is told to overturn a chair throw ink about or do other absurd things but if he is asked to do something serious e g to throw some one out of the window or give a blow or to seize a person by the body he will not do it for as the absurdity of the demand increases so also the resistance of his own will grows for that will must triumph over the foreign will which has suggested these things in proportion to the absurdity of the exactions of the foreign will in relation to this another question arises to what extent are the statements of the hypnotized person to be believed we cannot trust them very far fowle has recently said in a private letter that it must not be forgotten that when all is said and done it is always the same cerebral substance which is dictating the statements in the waking as well as in the hypnotized condition so that the force of will not to speak the truth can only be paralyzed to a certain extent if one wishes therefore to undertake experiments which in themselves are not allowable i e to try to find out the truthfulness of the hypnotized witness or accused persons the results obtained will be little worthy of reliance opinion is divided upon the question whether justice can profit by hypnotism and if so what the profit will be it will be interesting to study what men such as duprel Legis, frank c muller van deventer schmidtkunz and l drucker etc have said on this subject if we sum up all the cases imaginable in which the criminal expert has to deal with hypnotism we can say one it may affect the property or moral character of the person hypnotized two every kind of extortion may be committed with its assistance three it may suggest crimes to be committed four it may suggest illnesses etc 5. The courage necessary for the performance of a crime may be suggested, with its help. 6. Persons who have committed no crime may be unjustly accused by a person under its influence. 7. On the other hand, a person who has knowingly committed a crime may plead suggestion by another. 8. Traces of wounds and strangulations may be produced by suggestion and subsequently serve as proofs nine abortion may be brought about by suggestion ten all kinds of illnesses especially of the nerves and convulsions may be the consequence of illicit or awkward hypnotizing eleven involuntary suggestion may be practiced by the investigating officer himself or other persons to be questioned we may say generally speaking that the dangers of hypnotism are not so very great and are better known than formerly thanks to new theories which have carried us a considerable way forward difficulties always become less as we learn to know them better all the investigating officer need keep well in mind is that he should call in an expert on every occasion when he discovers the least trace of hypnotism if we compare what has been said at the Criminal Anthropological Congress in Brussels, for example, by Benedict, Voisin, Berylon, Croc, Huse, La Dame, Maison, motet Mendel, upon criminal suggestion with the modern conception thereof, we find a remarkable coolness or indifference in the value attached to it we cannot be far wrong in ascribing this healthy change chiefly to the great lawsuits of modern times in which suggestion played an important part and in which the first masters took trouble to make the problem clear it was thus with the process against anderson gray cowley county kansas then the much talked about fascination trial and again the extremely learned proceedings against the murderer Birchtold in munich in all these processes one had the living material, the visible effect, before one. One felt the gravity and the significance of the question, and so exerted oneself to make the thing clear and exclude all extraneous matter. One went on to describe the, quote, end quote fascination, already in 1855 called by Brad Monoidocirin, of suggestion and to give the public clear statements about it. That, for example, put forward by Professor Hurt of Breslau in the Sinski case was perhaps the clearest on the subject. He said, quote, One can compare the superficial part of the brain where, according to the observations of today, the memory, feelings, and sensations play. So far as concerns a conscious, normal, thoughtful person, with a sheet of paper which is ornamented with thousands of letters, these letters are the thoughts." when i by some means or other as for example was done by the accused with baroness z by sharp looks and strokes with the hand before the face put the victim into a sleeping condition then the letters fade more and more as the individual gets tired and are finally imperceptible in deep hypnotism indeed altogether wiped out when i then suggest something to the patient i write new characters and signs on the piece of paper which the sleeper hears reads and without criticism believes to be true that is to say takes for his own thoughts the clearer the writing of the suggester the more impressive the suggestions that follow and on waking they cleave to the consciousness of the hypnotized subject he takes them home with him and works with them the more frequently the suggestions are repeated and the deeper the hypnotic sleep is, so much the clearer and lasting are the characters which belong to it, and so much the more likely to influence the actions of the person sent to sleep. Post-hypnotic suggestion. End quote. Equally weighty and important were the different opinions given by Dr. Freiherr von Schrink-Natzing and professor grachy in the birchhold trial in which mainly the question of suggestion of the witnesses as well as the further question of how far in that particular case the province of the expert extended led to the final solution again the question of the working of post-hypnotism is not nearly so interesting as it once appeared to be as the strength and length of the effect are shown to be very insignificant this is best illustrated by the case related by Ernest Naville, in which Dr. Leibolt suggested to an idle, stubborn child the desire to work. This lasted, however, only a short time. The child became once more idle, and attempts at the same suggestion did not succeed. This case is well established without doubt we shall continue to study the question with the greatest care and call to our help the expert when a case of hypnotism comes before us but the complicated importance which the matter was formerly believed to possess no longer exists f Color blindness, color blindness is more widespread and more important than is generally believed since seventeen seventy seven, when Joseph Hoodart first mentioned this peculiarity when writing to Joseph Priestley, and John Dalton dealt with the subject more deeply in seventeen ninety four, colour blindness has been the object of most extensive study and investigation. The number of persons who ought to be considered victims of colour blindness to a greater or less degree cannot be established. The percentage given in the respective works of Wilson, Seebeck, Young, Helmholtz, Maxwell, Favre, Ferris, Stilling, Blaschko, Holmgren, and others, varies from 3.25% to 8%. We may assume the average to be 5%, thus making one man in every 20 to some extent color it should be added that color blindness is much more frequent among men than women, and its most usual form is a confusion of red with green or yellow. Frithjof Holmgren draws the following distinctions: one, total color blindness, i.e., the individual in question can only distinguish that a color is dark or light, he can only see, e.g., red on red or gray on gray we cannot say how he really sees the color for we are unable to discuss it with him owing to our having no corresponding notion of it ourselves two partial color blindness a typical i e the individual cannot distinguish certain determinate colors as a rule he cannot see a red b green c violet b incomplete i e, he distinguishes with some hesitation either all or only certain colors. The importance of color blindness arises in many contingencies. In the first place, it is rarely admitted by those who are victims of it. Most men are unaware that they are thus afflicted, and when they do know, they hate to confess it, as though they were guilty of some crime. It is beyond doubt that it may be very important to an investigating officer it is especially dangerous in all cases where color signals are in question for it may bring about grave accidents on railways ships or in mines it must be taken into account when there is a question of the color of e.g., a garment in identifying persons the man in the green coat or when looking for traces of blood a color-blind man can see blood only on a green background, as, for instance, on the grass or on green or yellow clothes, and that with difficulty. If, therefore, an investigating officer has the slightest suspicion that he has to deal with such a person, and if the designation of the real color is of importance, he will hand over the witness to a medical expert. G. The teeth. The very important help which can be given by the experienced dentist is far too little appreciated. He should always be consulted when any traces caused by teeth are discovered, e.g., wounds caused by biting, forgotten or discarded smoking materials, cigar ends, pipes, cigar or cigarette holders, etc., marks on pens or pencils, etc., in questions of identity dentists in cities can frequently help by making sketches of teeth they have operated upon when one considers the assistance a dentist can give we cannot help thinking that he is called in far too seldom some time ago a banker was murdered in st petersburg and near him was found a cigar holder with an amber mouthpiece the holder was so shaped that it could only be held in one position in the mouth, and a close examination showed that it had two marks, which must have been made by two teeth of unequal length. The banker had no such irregular teeth, but his nephew had, and, their suspicions aroused by this simple but important discovery, the authorities soon learned enough to warrant them in arresting him on the charge of murder. End of section 28